This is Rob Peary with the Coffee Runs Deep podcast, where we interview coffee farmers, coffee roasters, and we share their stories. Truly hope you enjoy the experience. Welcome to the Coffee Runs Deep podcast with your host, Rob Peary. And today I got an exciting guest on, Mr. Jim Nguokwe. Is that correct? And uh, you're the managing partner at the Mighty Peace Coffee. Yeah, so let's go ahead and roll into that. What what is Mighty Peace and what does it mean to you and what are you trying to do with it? A Mighty Peace, we're a social impact coffee importer and we, and we import coffee from the Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, you can call it Congo or DRC. So if I use them interchangeably, I'm talking about the same country. But yeah, that's, that's what we import the coffee from, from Congo. It's actually where I'm from originally. I'm an immigrant from Congo. I came to America about uh, 18 years ago, actually. When I was um, I was wrapping up uh, my junior year in high school, I was 17 when I came here. So um, yeah, so I'm from Congo originally. At Mighty Peace Coffee, we truly believe that coffee can be a catalyst for long-term peace development and sustainability in Congo. And the reason why peace is a key part of it is because some of the regions where we operate are post-conflict zones. Congo is a very mineral-rich country, and some of these areas have a lot of minerals that many, you know, national and international actors want a piece of. As a result, they've created a lot of chaos and conflict in the, in the Congo. And we believe that through the jobs and, and money that coffee can bring locally, we'll be able to ensure that peace becomes a, a lasting, becomes lasting locally. Gotcha. So as far as like importing, you're only importing from the Congo? Correct. Yes. Okay. So, so y'all, you're specifically focused on the Congo then? Exactly. Gotcha. How much do y'all do a year usually? We're very new. So we started in 2018. Uh, our first container arrived in 2019. We had, um, we brought one container in 2019. And uh, last year we brought two. And right now we're on pace for 10. So it's hard oh, to cool. say average because we're, we're so new that, you know, if I average our first two years, what would you tell the full story? Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you, you live in New York, right? Yeah, I'm in now? New York City. And I also have partners in Madison, Wisconsin. And uh, we also have a team in, in Bukavu in Congo who handle all quality and, 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 and relationships locally. Gotcha. Is that where you moved to the United States uh, to New York in the beginning or did you kind of move around in the beginning? Moved around in the beginning. I actually did not come from, from a DRC directly when I came to America. I actually, I first came from another country in Africa called Ghana. That's okay. where I was at the time when I was in high school. So, um, so I didn't come straight from Congo to America. I came from, through Ghana first, actually. Gotcha. And then in the Congo, um, what was there many coffee farms back then? Or is it kind of because I, I know like in the I was reading, I think in the 1970s, they used to export like a, a way more than they do now. And I was just wondering, was there many coffee farms back then or no? Absolutely. So there's there's, there's two types of coffees in Congo, Robusta and Arabica. And actually uh, doing some research, I found out that in the past, Robusta used to be called Coffee Congo or Congo coffee because it's native to Congo. And it's been in Congo and, and Africa, you know, for you know for millennia, as far as we know. And uh, and Arabic actually came through Congo through colonialism. So you know, you Congo used to be a, a colony of the Belgians, a Belgian colony, and that through that colonization and you know uh, different you know folks coming through from Belgium and elsewhere in Europe, that's how they brought you know Arabica coffee. So that's been there since uh, at least the 1800s. Okay. And uh, you know, Congo became an independent country in 1960. And back then, you know, also the, the coffee industry was a was a key part of the country's development. But then a lot of other uh, minerals were discovered in Congo, and they kind of became the priority for the government. And agriculture was unfortunately almost abandoned 
because of all the short-term money you can make by exploiting minerals like, you know, gold, cobalt, coltan, you know, diamonds, copper, and all that, which Congo has a lot of. Yeah. Yeah. I was looking at a map. The Congo is huge, dude. It's like, I was looking at, it's probably like the size of Texas, Kansas, Arizona, Colorado, that whole area, like in yeah. the States, it's, it's a pretty good size. And I didn't realize it was only 1960 when like Belgium still owned the Congo or whatever. I didn't, I didn't realize that. I thought it was way back, like, you know, World War II type, type era. Yeah, man, many, many, uh, many African countries, 1960 was the year they got their independence. Yeah. So it's 1960 was um, a year where independence became more rampant across, con- across the continent. But yeah, Congo is, um, relatively speaking, a young country. Yeah. Yeah. So then as far as I, I read a lot about Kavu and a lot of the, I guess that's the city in Congo where, um, is that where a lot of the coffee is kind of being processed and stuff or? So Kivu actually, so there's a lake called Kivu which separates Congo from Rwanda. And there's also, uh, in Congo, there's two provinces called North Kivu and South Kivu. So the same way we have, you know, states in the U.S. and Congo, we have provinces. And uh, our coffee comes from North and South Kivu. In terms of elevation, volcanic soil, some of the, you know, the, the top quality Arabica coffee from Congo actually comes from these provinces. Gotcha. Yeah, because I've been uh, doing some research on it, and it seems like the Congo could... What's the issue? Is it kind of the infrastructure, like the processing, uh, the mills and stuff like that, getting that kind of built up or? A lot of infrastructure needs, whether it's like the mill processing and all that, but also even a more basic infrastructure like uh, roads, you know, the exporting coffee from Congo uh, is, is like, I think like eight times more expensive than like from Rwanda or Uganda, even though they're neighbors, just because those countries have better roads and they have better systems in place and infrastructure in place to export coffee. So a lot of infrastructure needs to be rethought. Again, roads, a railway, and even even um, even a, a lake transport. Yeah, so it's a lot of infrastructure that's really slowing down. And also, politically speaking, there's a you know it's, it's not the most stable situation. And also because of some of the conflict that Congo has experienced over the past few years, that's also another another barrier to the to the country's coffee industry reaching its full potential. Gotcha. And then as far as the coffee farmers and stuff that live there, what's what's that lifestyle look like? Is it uh is it similar to Rwanda and Tanzania and kind of the bordering countries or is it a good bit different? There's a lot of similarities in terms of, uh, uh, in, tr- in they're organized in terms of cooperatives, you know, most uh, farmers are small holders, you know, they only, you know, less, less than, less than five hectares. So relatively, you know, small holder, uh, farmers and those, their, their land has been passed on from generations, typically like, you know, their, their parents, grandparents, great grandparents were in coffee. So they're in coffee as well. So they're organizing cooperatives, I think in Latin America, you hear about, you know, estates and things like that. It's really not the same in Congo, just more organized by cooperatives. And uh, there are similarities in terms of, you know, particularly like neighboring countries like Rwanda, Uganda, and Burundi. I'd say more so. Yeah. Gotcha. And I've, I've heard too, like a lot of the coffee from the Congo actually crosses the border and then it kind of gets just put in with Rwanda or, you know, Burundi or any of the other, you know, type of single origin coffees. But it's actually a lot of it's kind of Congo mixed in with it. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and there's two ways in which that happens. One of it is because Congo is not well known internationally as a coffee country, you know, uh, a lot of producers and farmers feel they can earn, you know, more money more rapidly if they just smuggle it to neighboring countries. So sometimes they do it illegally, like, you know, really early, really late, you know, get on, um, you know, dangerous journeys, to be honest, to they sometimes risk their lives to smuggle the, the coffee across borders, you know, and so that's one way which you get there. The other way is literally you know, the legal way, not necessarily ethical, but legal, where traders and brokers from those neighboring countries just come 
and buy that coffee and just, you know, export it to their country and then just repackage it and blend it with, you know, coffee from, let's say, Uganda, Rwanda, Burundi, and then they'll say, hey, this is some coffee from, you know, Uganda, for example. So, so it happens both illegally and legally where they just come in and buy it and blend it with their own coffee. Yeah. Gotcha. So the traceability is definitely not there in some cases. Then I, I can't imagine they'd probably be getting favorable prices uh, with that happening. Definitely not favorable. A lot of, a lot of times they're exploited, but an advantage is that they get paid, you know, in cash right away. Yeah. You know, if they go through, you know, the, you know, the, the, the regular legal and ethical channels, you know, the payment may take, you know, 15 days or a full month. Whereas if, you know, they smuggle it, they'll, they'll, they'll come back, you know, with, with cash in hand. So that's, that's a, I'll say airport advantage. Cause if you think about the long term, it's really not beneficial to them, but that's why some of them do it. So there's, um, so that's something where we're hoping that as we continue to grow, and create demand internationally for Congolese coffee, that there's less incentives for them to, to smuggle the coffee that way because they'll know that people actually do want Congolese coffee and I can get paid even better, you know, by exporting it as Congolese coffee. Gotcha. Um, as far as like the types of coffee that the Congo can offer, are there certain varieties y'all kind of focus on? So mostly Bourbon, but actually recently we found out that some of the coffee we, we thought was Bourbon is actually SL34. So we send it to the World Coffee Research Lab to do a genetic analysis. We found that there were a couple of offerings we had that we thought were Bourbon were actually SL34. So very, um, it was an interesting discovery earlier mm. this year. We asked mostly Bourbon, SL34, and also a little bit of Catamore, which again, we discovered through uh, genetic testing. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. What are y'all doing to kind of help promote the Congolese coffee? Absolutely. So the, I think one thing I want to start with is the fact that we have a team in Congo. You know, Linda Mugabuka, she's our chief quality officer and agronomy engineer. And actually, earlier this year, she became Congo's first woman Q grader. So having her on the ground makes a big difference. You know, we wouldn't be able to operate without having somebody like a company owner in Congo as well. So Linda makes a big difference. And she does a lot of, uh, of she does quarterly workshops with all the cooperatives to really teach them the basics of soil health. You know, what to plant around the coffee tree just to give, make the soil as healthy as possible. Also, what else to do during, before, and after the harvest to make sure that at the end you get the best possible coffee year in and year out, and that it improves every year. So a lot of quality training and, and and work really to help make sure that the quality improves. Because we started with with specialty coffee only because we wanted to start with uh, the best possible coffee, so we can put our best foot forward and say, hey, this is uh, some of the best coffees Congo has to offer. That way, we can also make sure that you know because if it's a higher quality, farmers can get paid a higher wage as well. That's why we wanted to start that way. Yeah. I don't know. I've always like the Congo it seems like just from the name, you could kind of, you know, put a pretty good promotion out and I don't know. I just feel people would be interested in, I, I remember when I first saw it, I had to try it because it was just like the Congo. I wanted to roast it, you know, it was something yeah. kind of different. It was, you see a lot of Kenya, you see a lot of Ethiopia, but it's like, whenever I first saw Congo, I think sweet Maria's had it. Um, and I was just, you know, I, I had to get, it. and it was one of the, uh, Lake Kivu, uh, yeah. I think it was South Lake Kavu or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, dude, it, it was, it was really good. I mean, it rivaled Burundi and, you know, the Ethiopians and stuff I had, which was, uh, super cool. And I think you reached out to me, like, you know, it's kind of weird how, how you, you, that, you know, things like that happen where yeah. I ordered this coffee, I've been roasting it for a little bit. And then I think you'd reached out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, it's been a couple of years now. And, uh, yeah, finally, you know, we kind of linked up and we've been talking a little bit and stuff, but I think it's super cool. I, I really think Congo has the ability to um, put out some good coffee. And, and honestly, like like you're saying, y'all are kind of discovering coffees there. There there may be some other varieties that 
I mean, awesome. has, has anybody kind of like been to, you know, experiment with that or, or not even experiment, but kind of like looking in or trying to discover, like, do they have any other types of types of varieties that may be specific only to the Congo that maybe nobody's kind of really discovered yet or? So interestingly, like the, the, the Catamore, the, the coffee we, 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 we have as Catamore, um, initially, like it actually was called something differently in Congo, like the, the region where it comes from, they don't, they don't call it Catamore. There's another name, Kesheke. That's kind of how they call that. That's the name of the variety. Gotcha. We were like, you know, there's, there's no coffee dictionary that, you know, has that name. So, right. so basically, so, so just to answer your question, I'm sure there probably are more. And it's going to be a matter of kind of doing that research and doing more genetic testing and being open to learning and not assuming that because we thought it was Bourbon or we thought it was, you know, this, it could be something different. So I'm sure there's a lot more to discover. Congo is a big country, like you said. And there's a, you know, there's that, as far as I know, there's not been a lot of research done on, on the coffee, the, the genetics necessarily at that deep level nationwide. So I wouldn't be surprised if we actually, that initiative that we'll find out quite a few other uh, uh, type varieties of coffee and maybe even some that, you know, aren't available elsewhere. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be super cool, dude. And uh, so what is the lifestyle of the workers? Not even so much like the farm owners, but like the workers there, is it? I mean, is it pretty decent living conditions or how, how, how is it over there? It depends. I want to say it, it really depends on, um, you know, the, 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 the amount of, of, of land they have and the amount of coffee they produce. And also most of them, even though Congo has two coffee seasons, most of them like, like their coffee earnings, like they also have to sell other things. Some of them, you know, whether it's, you know, goats, uh, chicken, pigs, or, or other, other produce, like whether it's tomatoes, sweet potatoes and, and cassava and things like that. So, a lot of them, they, they do things beyond coffee to supplement their income. But in terms of lifestyle, I'd say it really depends, again, on the amount of land and experience. Also, uh, whether you're a producer, also you're a, a manager, manager level at the cooperative level. So if you're manager level at the cooperative level, you probably have more of a, you know, middle class, you know, lifestyle, you know, speaking in terms of Congo. But if you're a producer, you know, despite our, our best efforts to pay significantly above, you know, fair trade and all that, it's still... You know, it's still a relatively difficult life. You know, they still, you know, you know, basic infrastructure like uh, like clean water and electricity is unfortunately not common on the, in the rural areas. And a lot of times, you know, they have to walk long distances for you know healthcare, access to healthcare, or access to even clean water, like I mentioned earlier. So the the overall, it's definitely a it's a challenging life for the average producer. We're we're, we're trying to do our best to make sure that over over time, as they get you know better at producing high quality coffee, and we continue to pay them more and more. That their quality of life can improve but to be perfectly honest it's definitely uh i'd say that the average life the life of the average coffee producer in congo is definitely a difficult one in terms of you know it's you know it's, it's tough to 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 live in those regions and to and to earn money slowly to agriculture yeah it's just like it's it's so crazy because it's such like a rich resource country and i guess if the government could ever kind of get to a point where it's stable and stuff i i like, do you see it kind of getting to a point where it could grow pretty rapidly as far as like infrastructure and stuff like that? Or do you think it's too fractured as far as like the government level? It's definitely possible. It's definitely possible. And I hope I live to see it. You know, you know, I don't know if you've, um, you watch Black Panther, but I and many of the folks from Congo, we have no doubt that Wakanda was inspired by Congo because we really believe that if, you know, it's organized well and the resources are used for the right things, the country could become, you know, very wealthy the average families have a much better quality life so to answer your question it's definitely possible and i hope i, I live to see it uh so that, that's definitely my dream to, to, to live in a time where you know congo's reaching its full potential as a country and 
that its resources, its minerals, its, its coffee really benefit the population at large and not just a small percentage of well-connected people. Yeah. yeah. Do they have any kind of like coffee, like larger coffee roasters, uh, you know, not throwing out names but like Starbucks really, or like kind of, you know, any of the other kind of larger coffee roasters or even coffee like companies that are helping out or, you know, giving back or trying to help build some of that infrastructure or is it kind of more take instead of give or what's that kind of look like? So I know there's definitely a lot of uh, big, bigger companies and brands are investing in Congo because they see the potential again, even beyond the quality of the coffee. If you look at, you know, global warming and also just, you know, like coffee availability and prices in Kenya and Ethiopia and what's available, whereas Congo, there's, you know, it's a much bigger country with, you know, more possibility for more coffee down the line when maybe some other countries, because of global warming, they'll probably, you know, have less coffee available. So I think a lot of these bigger corporations, whether they're Starbucks, Nespresso, they're all aware of that and they have been involved in, in Congo. Most recently, Nespresso, I believe it was earlier this year, like they're, they're, they're investing a lot in, you know, whether it's coffee washing stations and sourcing coffee from Congo for some of their, uh, some of their products. And similarly, Starbucks, a few years ago, actually, they, they were offering Congolese coffee and they built washing stations locally and work with different cooperatives. So I'm definitely, uh, some of the, the bigger coffee companies are aware of Congo and see the potential. And, uh, and I hope they, they stay there for the long term and uh, make it a point to make sure to, to pay farmers fairly. Yeah. 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 I didn't know. I didn't know if it would kind of be one of those things where they step in and kind of hurt more than they actually help. Or if it's kind of getting to that point now, I feel where, I don't know, some, some people I've talked to in different countries, like, you know, Starbucks is actually pretty helpful, but then you hear, you know, from the kind of the Western side of it, that, that they're not. So it's like, I didn't know how it kind of was over there with y'all. And yeah, it's definitely um, a mixed bag. It's definitely a mixed bag in terms of the feedback of what these big companies do. Some, you know, for, from a perception standpoint, it's like, Hey, if we're good enough for Starbucks and espresso, maybe more people will come. So does that feeling mm -hmm. that it will attract more people? But again, if you're buying, you know, the quantities they're buying, you know, as the business, as businesses, they also are trying to get the best possible margin not going to have a negative impact. So from what I've heard, it's definitely a mixed bag as to uh, the pros and cons of having those big guys really come on the ground and, and, and work there. Yeah. And kind of bringing up the climate, uh, you know, global warming or something like that. It seems like the Congo has a lot of room for growth in coffee where a lot of countries are already kind of maxed out where you can only yeah. go up so high into the mountains until you can't anymore. Um, but in the Congo is so big, like, I mean, Central America, it, it would engulf Central America, you know, so like all your Central America growing could all, all, almost be transferred to the Congo. If there's enough room, I'd have to kind of look at the mountains and stuff, you know, kind of see uh, where the growing all the growing regions are. But do you think like how much more expansion do you think the Congo can go with coffee? It's hard to put an exact number, but I, 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 it has definitely the potential to be a top 10 if that top five uh, coffee producing country in the world. Yeah. And, and right so, now, where do you think, I mean, y'all it's Congo is definitely down there. I think right now. Yeah. I think that the last time I checked, it was, uh, I think it was in like the low forties. So we're, you know, there's a lot of countries ahead of, of ahead of Congo that really realistically speaking should not be above Congo in terms of volume export and capacity. Yeah. The better infrastructure they are. But in terms of, you know, if we get our act together and, you know, make the most, you know, there's no reason Probably cannot catch up with Brazil. You know, they're definitely too far, or Vietnam, you know, they're probably too far ahead of the game, but definitely has the potential to be a top five or top 10 coffee producing country globally. Yeah. 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 That'd be super cool. I'd, I'd love to, because I, I would love to get over there one day. It's because I was looking up like landscape pictures and stuff like that and, on Google. And it's just like, dude, it's, it's, 
like every type of landscape you can imagine the Congo has. It was like waterfalls from mountains to valleys to desert. And it's just like, it's pretty cool. I'd love to kind of get over there and see it one day. We're, we're evaluating doing a trip there uh, next year in, in the spring, probably like March or April. So, I mean, you know, if, if, if you're down, we could definitely, definitely join us. Oh, heck yeah, dude. I was wondering how, like, do you get to go back home much or? I haven't been there recently, unfortunately, because of COVID. Yeah. So it's, it's unfortunately dampened the travel plans. Uh, the, the vaccine has not been really available there at scale. And the Delta variant was really uh, big there. So, um, you know, travel to Congo was not the safest most recently, but there is hope that in the next few months, things will get better and the pandemic will be better controlled locally and it'll be safer to travel. But right now, like the cases have been increasing a lot and it's definitely not recommended to go there at the moment. Yeah. Um, as far as like COVID and stuff like that, has has it impacted like the the producers and stuff like that pretty heavy or? Yeah, and, and more so economically speaking. So not necessarily in terms of cases, like the cases are mostly in the urban areas, but most producers, you know, living in the rural areas. Right. So their impact was more so commercially speaking. So a lot of people canceled their orders last year and things like that. So people that were expecting to sell, you know, tons of coffee, all of a sudden, you know, their contracts are canceled. So they have to find other ways to earn to, to make money. That's when they look at other produce, you know, other, you know, um, cattle to raise and things like that. So it's, I'd say the impact from a coffee standpoint was much more economical than uh, like health from a healthcare and, you know, a high death rate standpoint, at least in the coffee areas. Yeah. Yeah. So then as far as the producers too, like, are they pretty small scale producers or is it like massive farms? Is it, you know, what's, what's the average farm and average producer kind of look like? Yeah. The average is small holder. So that's like technically less than five acres. I think that's what's considered a small holder, like five acres or less. So it's definitely small. Yeah. So that's about the size. So it's a lot. So most cooperatives, like a small cooperative is like 2000 members. And like one of the bigger ones is like 18,000 members. Are y'all thinking about doing any type of like micro lots through Mighty Peace, kind of like focusing focusing in on like one farmer that's kind of has something, you know, really special or something like that and kind of promoting that or? Absolutely. It's definitely something we're evaluating and we're talking to different individual producers and, you know, about what that would look like and uh, kind of their capacity and what we could do to really support them. So it's definitely something we have, we have in mind for, for the near future. Okay. Yeah. Because I've been seeing a lot of roasters, they... Like the big focus now, I feel, is like they're wanting to know who the farmer is, where their farm's at, you know, what elevation, and then like, you know, all the way to how many kids they have and who they're supporting, it seems like. You know, they it's like this big focus on exactly where the coffee's coming from, who it is in the face on the bag. And I think that's pretty cool, too, which I kind of see that being the trend where it almost kind of being like wine. You want to know what estate it comes from. You want to know what actual farm, what actually farmers kind of like farming it. And I didn't know if that was something uh, y'all have kind of seen a demand for or anything like that. Absolutely. And we, we actually already do that, but just because, you know, most of them are small holders. So let's say, for example, we bring in like a 50 bag lot. Mm-hmm. We'll be a, quite a few farmers, you know, it's probably, you know, 50 to 100 people involved in producing like, let's say, a container of coffee. But we do have their names and we, we can verify, you know, when they got paid. Like our team in Congo, like is in touch with them over the phone. So we can definitely go as, as granular as that, you know, who, how many, who was it? You know, where do they live? Where do they live? How long they've been in coffee? We definitely have that information. But in terms of, you know, let's say like somebody wants 20 bags, like it, it will be rare that those 20 bags of coffee comes from one person because they usually don't have enough land to produce 20 bags, you know, for one person by one person. Yeah. yeah. So how do y'all determine price? How, how do you determine what you pay like one of the farmers? Are you, are you buying directly from the farmer or, or the co-op? To the, through the co-op, through the co-op. And then, and the, but the, the co-op is very transparent as, as are we. So we understand, you know, the, the cost they need for the support, the administration, you know, certification, 
to keep up that paperwork up to date and support the farmers with trainings and things like that. And then uh, also like the, the producers, you know, the, the, the price they need plus the, the, the Mighty Peace Coffee bonus. So we definitely are, are very um, transparent with, with pricing across the board. But to answer your question, they actually dictate the price. So for example, most recently, you know, like, uh, you know, they'll send us spreadsheets say, hey, you know, this is, this is, you know, what the producers need to get. This is, you know, what the cooperative needs to get. This is, you know, if, if we get this, we're able to invest in that. So, you know, for, for you know, for the contracts for, let's say, July 2021, this is the price we request. And then, you know, most of the time we say yes, and sometimes we have to negotiate it. For example, we, we can't afford it, but we, we make sure that they, they are in control because the last thing we want to do is contribute to the exploitation whereby, you know, American companies or European companies, you know, dictate the price and, and earn all the money. So right now they dictate the price and we work together to make sure that it's, it's a winnable situation for us, for them. And for the people who sell the coffee too, for roasters in America that want to, you know, buy a quality coffee at a price that makes sense for them as well. Yeah, it's kind of that hard thing. It's like, there's no point in you buying it at a higher price if you can't sell it. Um, yeah, that's that, that's a tough one. So it's it's like, you almost got to, I guess, market it. So do, do y'all have like a marketing team and everything? Or how many members do y'all have? Yeah, and members, I mean, like people working with Mighty Peace Coffee. So in terms of like uh, Mighty Peace Coffee, so there, there's five of us total. So I'm in New York. We have Linda in, in, in Bukavu and J.D. Liza and Mackenzie in Madison. So there's five. I guess full-time owners and you know people leading Mighty Peace Coffee, but we so there's five of us full-time and uh, there's also contractors that helps that support Linda in Congo and contractors that support us here with you know different like tasks and projects. But in terms of like like the full-time Mighty Peace team is five of us, so we're still you know pretty young and pretty new and pretty small. Gotcha. And as far as like quantity sizes, like do y'all only go down to a bag or can somebody buy twenty pounds from you or something like that? Yeah, we're not, we're not breaking down the bags yet. So, you know, yeah. our minimum order is, is one bag, but we do have, for example, some clients that do that. So for example, some clients, you know, will buy our coffee and then sell, you know, in like one pound increments, for example. And, and, and that, that's actually worked pretty well for some um, like home roasters and things like that, that, you know, like the coffee, but, you know, can't buy more than 30 pounds, for example. So right. some of our partners, you know, buy a coffee from us and sell to those kinds of buyers. And then I guess kind of a big thing going on right now is like shipping and stuff. What like has that affected you any as far as like waiting on containers or and stuff like that? Absolutely. So some of our most recent containers were a bit delayed and, and the delay happened really from a transshipment standpoint. So let's say, you know, because so the coffee, just to give you a kind of a breakdown of the journey, the coffee goes from Congo, put it on a truck through Rwanda and then it goes through Tanzania. So we export coffee out of Tanzania because Congo, even though on the east side, it's connected to the Atlantic Ocean. You know, the coffee that we source comes from the west part of the country, sorry, the eastern part of the country. And, you know, the, there really isn't um, uh, a practical way to go from the east to the west of Congo. Like, you know, so let's say, for example, the same way, you know, you can go from New York to LA and, you know, and like the train's probably what, you know, 30 something hours, you could drive yeah. in 30 something hours. You cannot drive from east to west in Congo, just the roads aren't there. The infrastructure isn't there, unfortunately. So we have to actually have to go through our neighboring countries. So the coffee is exported through Tanzania. And from Tanzania, usually it also has like another, an extra transshipment. And it, it's uh, the last few times it's been India. So the issue has been basically getting on a vessel in India. So, so, we, so there'll be instances where the coffee left Congo on time, even left Tanzania in time, but there was an issue getting on the vessel in India. Next thing you know, I spent two extra weeks there. And instead of arriving here in, you know, first week of September, you know, it's arriving here first week of October. Because if you miss that ship, a lot of things get delayed and, you know, it really affects timeline. So it's, it's definitely, we've experienced the, the struggles of shipping in, in, this, in this day and age, yeah. 
Yeah, I was coming kind of wondering wondering about that with coffee because we've been having issues at work and stuff, but I know y'all got to be having some pretty good issues too. Yeah, we have coffees that have been a few months late, but I have clients that tell me that they have other coffees that are like seven to eight months late. So I oh, think wow. it's worldwide and, you know, from whether it's coffee from Africa, Asia, or uh, Latin America, there's definitely uh, a lot of issues, whether it's ports, labor, and things like that. It's, it's been tough to get coffee in and out in a quick manner this year. Like if you don't have a port or access to the ocean, I don't know how much it would kind of be more to probably, you know, fly it out. But uh, yeah, have, have y'all looked into that any or no? So we've flown samples or, you know, like a handful of bags and things like that. But, you know, when you're talking, let's say a full container, yeah. 220 bags, 19 tons, like it's, we, we, it's not, it's, you know, we can't fly it. Yes, it's too, it's too much coffee. It'll be, it, it, won't make, it won't make business sense to try to fly that much coffee to America. Yeah. 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 I didn't know, like, gosh, it just it seems like if you got to go through that many countries and probably customs, it, it just seems like all the costs add up. I, yeah, it's kind of hard, hard to justify then, you know? Yes, it's definitely, uh, it's, um, it's, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely tough, but it's really the reality for many countries, even some of our neighbors, you know, because whether it's, you know, Rwanda or even Burundi, like they, they're also, they're landlocked, actually, actually landlocked. Yeah, yeah, Burundi is too. Their, their, their coffee through uh, other countries, whether it's Kenya, uh, Tanzania, or even Ethiopia at times. So, so it's an unfortunate reality, but, you know, we found ways to, to make it work, but ideally with, you know, better infrastructure or, or I hope somebody can come up with like a a, a, a super fast ship, you know? Yeah. You can make ocean travel faster. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's one of them things like, I don't know, I just never really thought about it. like, yeah, like Brundy's landlocked, Congo's landlocked. So you're going, you're going through multiple countries just to get it to a port before you yeah. can even get it onto a ship. Yeah. And then get it coming. So yeah, that's, that's a lot. Do people in Congo, do y'all drink much coffee or? Not really, actually. The, the consumption, the local consumption is, is very low. If I, I think last time I looked at the numbers, it was, it was less than 5%. So coffee consumption is definitely not something, you know, like um, it's part of Congolese culture, definitely more and more, more so tea, but it's increasing, you know, definitely particularly younger generations like, you know, millennials and, you know, uh, and Gen X and Gen Z are definitely consuming more coffee, but it's, it's mostly a, more of a tea drinking country. But I think, you know, especially long-term, it will be important to increase local consumption so that we can also, uh, so that, you know, more of the coffee earnings can stay in the country instead of being exported outside, you know? Yeah, that's what I was wondering too. I didn't know if y'all had many coffee shops around and stuff like that or, or not. They're popping so. up more and more. They're definitely popping up, you know, more and more and, and tar- targeting, you know, younger, younger, younger population and, you know, kind of my generation and, you know, people slightly younger or around, around, around my age range. So let's say, you know, from the 20s, 20s to 40s. So I'd say it's slightly, it's definitely growing more, more coffee shops are popping up in the cities. Yeah. That's cool. I mean, that's the thing too. Like I feel once people, you know, once you're, you, you're drinking coffee and you, you know, y'all, y'all are farming it there and stuff. It's like, you kind of have more of that connection to it. Uh, that's one thing, you know, like in the States here in like Louisiana, I know we got Hawaii that, um, can grow coffee, but it's one of those things like all coffee is pretty much imported. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that'd be, that'd be pretty cool to know. Like, you know, you looking over there at the farm and you're at a coffee shop or something and you know, coffee's coming from right over there. So yeah. That'd be pretty cool. Are there any organizations that are helpful over there as far as like, you know, the fair trade and stuff like that, or the Rainforest Alliance and this, do y'all have any kind of dealings with that or, and how is it? Yeah. So all of our coffees are fair trade and organic. And so it's definitely helpful that um, it's helpful to have uh, because again, what, what their standards are, 
But most importantly, because a lot of, you know, people that can come to Congo and see for themselves, they rely on those certifications to kind of like trust that we are what we say we are and that, you know, the coffee is fair trade and that the farmers are paid a minimum of this amount, things like that, and that the coffee is good for the environment because it's organic. So, so I think those, those organizations definitely help, especially for people that don't know much about Congo. But if they see, if they know that it's fair trade, there's like this certain level of trust that's there because like, you know what, even though I can go to Congo myself and see how you guys work there, because fair trade says it's fair trade that I trust that at least it meets a certain basic requirement. So those organizations are there and they are helpful really to, to, op- to, open our, our, to open the minds of people that are interested in our coffee, but are wary of anything Congo related. Heck yeah, that's pretty cool. And then as far as like, what is your perception of the current like coffee industry, like in the States and stuff, as far as like kind of where the specialty coffee is heading or the, you know, or the commercial coffee, what's your thoughts on all that? In, in what in what sense of, uh, in terms of uh, the industry? Just like growth and then I guess kind of where, where the Congo would kind of fit in with that too. Like what's, what's, what's your push? What's your thoughts on where, where the Congolese coffee can like fit in and, and stuff like that? So I think in terms of Congo, where it fits in, one thing is the, the coffee, um, I say we have a versatile coffee. So, you know, whether you're looking for fruit forward or more like chocolatey, nutty, we definitely have, you know, like those different flavor profiles. So I think, you know, depending on your palate, there's, there's probably a Congolese coffee that's perfect for your palate because we have such a diversity of, of coffees in Congo. And also it's, um, I think it's uh, because it's, it's, it's still relatively unknown. I think there's a lot of roasters out there that are looking for ways to stand out, looking for, for unique coffees with unique stories. That's another way in which Congo fits. And I'd say, you know, most of our clients, that's one reason why they work with us. The coffee, is, they really enjoy the coffee. Also, they really enjoy the fact that it's from a country that, you know, most people don't know where it is on the map. Most people don't know EMS coffee, you know. So I think there's, that, there's also that element of curiosity and learning something new. Gotcha. And then as far as I've, I've also noticed, there's the Republic of the Congo and then the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Is there any coffee that is grown like on the, what would be the Western side? So, so yeah, the Democratic Republic of Congo is actually the country where I'm from and where our coffee comes from. So right. there's, and, and that country used to be called Zaire. And before that, it was called Congo Free State. So again, so it's, um, so I know it could cause confusion because literally it's almost the same name. <laughs> and somebody from the Republic of Congo is also considered Congolese, like I am, even though it's two different countries. Uh, but th- there is coffee that grows on, on the Western part, but it's mostly Robusta. Gotcha. Mostly, so in terms of the Arabica, it's, it's, it's largely on the eastern side of DRC and the, the central and west is mostly Robusta. As far as I know, there's no Arabica outside of the, the eastern provinces. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was kind of reading too. I, that's why I figured it was mostly around the Lake Kivu and all like okay. on, yeah. on the eastern side. So yeah. heck yeah, dude. Uh, as far as like, I guess, uh, do you have any questions or anything or any uh, kind of thing you want to add or? Absolutely. So my, my first question to you is um, how did you get into the coffee space? I want to, you know, I know you've been asking me questions. I have some questions for you now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how did I get into the coffee? Um, I, dude, my wife actually, she kind of got me into it. I, I didn't drink coffee until like 24, 25, probably 25. And, uh, she made this little, you know, coffee drink one time and it had like a lot of cinnamon and like, you know, honey, I forgot what all was in. It was a lot of stuff. And I, I liked it. I started drinking it after that. And, but my mom and them always drink like Folgers and stuff, you know? And it was, it, it was horrible, you know, and then like <laughs> later on, just going through that little whole, you know, experiment and adding this and adding that and trying new coffees. I finally stumbled upon specialty coffee. And it was like one day I realized I didn't need to add anything to it. You know, it was just yeah. good enough how it was. So yeah. 
And then after that, uh, yeah, I really just got into like roasting and stuff like that. And I think once I got into roasting, that's when I really started just tasting more. And that's when you start, I, I feel I, I started appreciating the taste of just natural straight black coffee, just because you were trying to find different, different flavors, different things, you know, ways you liked roasting it, different origins and stuff like that. So yeah, just kind of like one of those slow progressions and now here I am, you know, so it's been, it's been a, it's been quite the journey. I think now what I would like to focus on would be more kind of like the content given back and then, you know, just going and seeing these places, you know, and kind of creating short documentary style content for it. And, uh, you know, just sharing the stories of the farmers and the people and even like you and stuff, you know, just kind of the, everybody that's involved in just making it a little bit better, you know, and I feel that's at, at the end of the day, if we can all just make it a little bit better and pass on something better. I mean, it's all we can really ask for, you know? Absolutely. So heck yeah, dude. So as, as far as like buying your coffee and stuff, is there a link or anything they can go to and check it out? Absolutely. So if you want to try some of our roasted coffee, cause again, we, we mostly sell the green coffee to roast directly, but we do have some small quantities that we roast for people that are curious and want to support. So it's oh, okay. mightypeacecoffee.com. You can try the coffee there. And depending on where you are, you know, I'm, I'm, I think right now we're in 25 states. So whether you're in the East Coast, you know, the, the South, you know, the Midwest or the West Coast, probably have some roasters that, that, that carry our coffee. So if you're, if you let me know where you are, I'm more, I'll be more than that, more than happy to point you in the direction of a roaster that's carrying our coffee. Yeah. Oh, heck yeah. So, so y'all do some roasting too? Do y'all, do y'all like uh, third party? Scale. Very small scale. Yeah. Very small okay. scale. We have a, a roastery out in Wisconsin that's, that's, that's been a, supporter of us from the get-go so all of our sample roasting and all roasting for like friends and family they do that for us yeah oh that's cool heck yeah dude very small scale <laughs> yeah so i guess a bag is the minimum that they can buy from y'all then like you're talking about the green coffee yeah green coffee yes yeah so what's that 69 kilo or what was uh yeah in congo it's 60 all right well cool deal dude uh man i appreciate you hopping on bro absolutely thanks for the opportunity i'm grateful to be able to you know share the mighty peace coffee story and talk about congo nothing i love more than talking about congo as you can tell <laughs> heck yeah dude no i would love to like uh man i wish all this craziness would kind of go away i'd yeah. love to get over there and you know share the story and do a good little documentary style thing and dude if, if we can do that in the future and kind of you know make that happen i would i would definitely love to do that so no, that'd be really nice that would definitely be really nice yeah Heck yeah, dude. Well, I appreciate you coming on, dude. And if, uh, if I can help in any way, let me know. I'll link everything in the descriptions and all that. And yeah, dude, thanks for coming on, buddy. Thanks for the opportunity. Take care. I truly hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And thank you for tuning in to the Coffee Runs Deep podcast. And Mr. Jim, I truly appreciate you coming on. Uh, I had a blast and I learned a lot from you. Uh, if you guys like this type of content, please think about liking, sharing, and doing all that. It helps uh, promote the content. And I guess I'll see y'all next time. Love y'all. Peace out. Have a good one.